and welcome to the Inspiring Capital Podcast. This is the show for the purpose-driven person who isn't afraid to have the difficult conversations about the challenges and opportunities of having a positive impact in their personal lives and at work. There's a lot to talk about around impact and purpose these days, but we feel and hear from our community a need for more honest and pragmatic conversations about the complexities of social and environmental change. Today, I'm sitting down with Julia Winch, Inspiring Capital's North Carolina market manager. Julia is originally a New Yorker, but is now living in Durham, North Carolina as a self-described adopted North Carolinian. She is managing Inspiring Capital's expansion into the North Carolina market. Her background is in healthcare finance, and she holds an MBA from Duke University with a concentration in social entrepreneurship. When I tell people that Inspiring Capital is in two locations, New York City and the Triangle, I get asked, why North Carolina? Today, we answer that question. I'm Bernadette Hopin, Community and Brand Manager at Inspiring Capital. Time to plug in and let's dive right into the struggle. Hello, Julia. Hello, Bernadette. Thank you for joining us on our podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Actually, here isn't with me in New York as we're recording. So would you like to tell everyone where you currently are right now? Yeah, that's right. So I am recording this podcast from Durham, North Carolina, which is where I live and where I work on behalf of Inspiring Capital as of February of this year. Yes, Julia is very new to our team, which is really exciting. But you're also not alone, and I really want our audience to know who's sitting next to you right now. <laughs> yeah, so uh, the individual sitting next to me uh, is named Blue, and she is a 25-pound miniature chocolate labradoodle. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, she's um, she's been a great addition to the team. Yes, Julia is very lucky that in our North Carolina office, she gets to bring uh, Blue to work, so... Hopefully we'll be able to do that in New York one of these days. But um, yeah, so I in my little intro, I was saying that Inspiring Capital is in the triangle. And I didn't know what that was until I started at Inspiring Capital. And I'm sure there are some people that don't know what that means. So can you explain what the triangle is? Absolutely. And I think you're right that it's one of these terms that only people who live here understand. So happy to clear that up. So the triangle is what we use to describe the three locations that are kind of in this geographic area that looks like a triangle. So those three areas are Raleigh, Durham, and Chapel Hill. And so the airport, when you fly in here, is actually called the Raleigh-Durham Airport. So those are kind of those those two parts. And then the third is Chapel Hill. And so the triangle makes up those three areas and everything that kind of sits inside of it. So that's one sort of definition of the triangle is this sort of geographic location. The other way that you hear the triangle being described is this idea of research triangle park, which is also a physical location that houses a lot of different companies and is a hub for tech and innovation. Um, so those are the two kind of uses of it. But usually people will say RTP, Research Triangle Park, when they refer to the latter, and they will say the triangle when they refer to that, uh, that three-tiered geographic hub. So I hope that clears it up. Yes, it does. Thank you for clarifying. I sure. Moving forward in this, in this podcast episode, which we're talking about um, why North Carolina. North Carolina is such an interesting um, area and a really interesting choice for why Inspiring Capital decided to expand to that area. 
something that you said to me when we were prepping for this episode was that you described North Carolina as a microcosm. And I thought that was a really great observation. And um, I'd love for you to share that observation. Yeah, I'd love to chat more about that. So for me, North Carolina really represents this microcosm of the United States at large. And what I mean by that is within the state, we see rural communities, we see urban communities, we see really diverse communities, we see a lot of socioeconomic variety, we see a lot of political variety. It's you know traditionally a purple state, so it, it swings red, it swings blue, and and I think just kind of the diverse range of beliefs of ethnicity of ethnicities there we go <laughs> um, economic statuses to me uh, really is extremely representative of the united states mm-hmm. at large yeah I, I completely agree with you um and it's encouraging with with that description that if that is true um that this area has attracted so many great um social enterprises and really um a, a strong community of purpose driven individuals there's lots of b corps there um lots of cool startups so tell me more about that the connection between the two like why do you think this area has attracted so much um of the better business movement yeah it's a great question so we see a really high concentration of social enterprises here in North Carolina. Uh, and, and for me, I think that is for a few reasons. I think it has roots in North Carolina's sort of problematic past. Um, we think about race segregation and, and the pervasiveness of that. And furthermore, I, I think for me, it's how resilient um, the community has been in terms of overcoming some of the byproducts of segregation and racism in our history. So one example that I like to point to is Black Wall Street in downtown Durham, um, which is an area that is all sort of Black-owned businesses. Um, And the name is an homage to Wall Street in New York, and it still exists today in Durham, and there's historic plaques there. It's meant to highlight, you know, African-American-owned businesses. And the resiliency of that business community. The other thing that I think about when I think about why so many social enterprises exist is it's they're filling an economic gap that in a lot of ways was left by the tobacco industry um, scaling back and kind of pulling out and leaving a lot of people jobless and, and leaving the economy less than. So um, just to give you a little bit of background, Bernadette, in the late 1800s, uh, James B. Duke whose name might sound familiar from a certain university in the area, um, formed the American Tobacco Company in Durham. Mm-hmm. Um, and we actually still see the relics of that, and we've incorporated it quite a bit into current um, construction and embracing of our history. But, uh, but essentially, that industry does not exist today uh, as, it, as it once did. So just to give you kind of an idea, even just in the past two decades, in 1992, the U.S. tobacco industry employed over 80,000 people uh, in over 2,000 establishments. And by 2012, this number dropped 47%. So it's, it's a huge drop. Um, it left a lot of people without jobs, without wages, and there was really a need to fill that niche. And I think social enterprise has in large part filled that. So, so I guess my answer is two-tiered. It's this problematic past that a very resilient uh, group of people is working hard to overcome and kind of strive for equity. And the second part is that there was an economic need. Yeah. And, and I want to thank you for um, talking a little bit about 
about the tobacco industry and, and just North Carolina's past. Um, it, I think it's so important when you talk about the progression of a community or um, a state even to acknowledge where they came from before we can even move this conversation forward and talk about where the triangle is going. So, so thank you for, um, for sharing some of that. And I do want to dive um, deeper into some other problem areas um, that North Carolina has faced um, in the um, past few years, but I want to, I want to continue talking about this and even talking about Duke, but switching to, to the university. So we're talking about, there was this big gap, and now we're seeing that gap being filled by social enterprises, which is really encouraging and great. And uh, we were talking earlier about how the all the universities in the area plays a big part into that. So can you talk a little bit about the talent and, and diversity in North Carolina and why that's contributing to such a successful community? Yeah, absolutely. So when we think about the Triangle region, there are kind of three universities that people like to think about in terms of a talent pool, and that's Duke University, uh, it's and North Carolina State University, uh, and UNC Chapel Hill. So those are the, the three that people tend to think about. Um, but we also have a good number of historically black colleges and universities, HBCUs, um, that we have a lot of talented individuals. Um, and, and it's really just a hub for uh, for students and and really diverse people. And then on the kind of company side, RTP, which I mentioned earlier, uh, Research Triangle Park is home to over 260 companies, which is huge, around 50,000 employees, um, and just a geographic footprint of around 7,000 acres. So that's a huge employment hub for um, th- that is a feeder not only from those universities, but for folks um, who move here from different states and parts of the country as well. So you were in New York for a while, and now you're in North Carolina. So. Yeah. Tell me about your your story personally. So, what drew you back to North Carolina, or why did you, um, you know, ditch the the Big Apple and yeah. <laughs> to the Triangle? Yeah. So, the abridged version is that my at the time boyfriend, now husband, and I were living in Queens, New York, and I was applying to graduate schools to get my MBA, and Duke was the right choice, and we thought we were going to be in Durham for two years for graduate school for me, and then head right on back north. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we just really fell in love with it down here, and we decided to never leave. And when I think about the reasons for that, they are actually really closely tied to why Inspiring Capital is here and chose to be here. So it's for me, it was the accessibility of the social impact space. So mm-hmm. it's not an elitist world of social impact, as I think sometimes unfortunately happens in some bigger cities. There is this push towards inclusiveness and accessibility and communication. It is a small enough space that it is sort of small enough that it is bite-sized and you can chew it and absorb it and understand all of the players in the space. Um, But it is big enough that you are always learning new things and meeting new people and discovering new cool organizations. So I think for me, as a career switcher and an aspiring social impact leader, it's just this really accessible, accommodating, kind community that is looking to grow and change and iterate and have tough conversations. And the community is not afraid of that. And so that was just 
really heartening for me in the context of being a student and looking to learn from folks in the community. It was really easy to learn and I was quickly embraced. And so that that was definitely a part of why I, I wanted to stay. And then, you know, you hear it a lot, Southern hospitality, Southern kindness, but <laughs> really, Bernadette, it is the truest. People are so nice here and so welcoming. And it's coming from the Northeast. I think there's this sense that we'll be skeptical when people are nice to us for no reason. What are you um, talking about? New York is filled with the kindest people. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Just not on public transportation. <laughs> yeah, not during the commute in the morning. Right. No eye contact. But really, it's just so nice to go to the grocery store and have organic conversations with people about their lives and their community. And um, there's so much richness in those organic conversations with strangers. Um, Mm -hmm. I loved it a lot more than I thought I would. And then there's this other cool thing about where I live. And I, I think it'll make sense as a contrast to kind of what Manhattan has turned into in terms of the cost of living and prices in general. So in my apartment building, there's this really neat cross-section of people who look differently and speak differently and have different occupations and really like no two people kind of look the same. So in my sort of building alone, I have people who are uh, medical residents in, you know, at, at UNC and at Duke. Um, I, I have people who are, uh, there's an individual who's a postal worker. I have an individual who who works in sanitation. Uh, I have a police officer. We have immigrants and, and sort of this really cool cross-section of diverse people simply because the prices here are just not prohibitive. Yeah. And, and you know what else I'm thinking as, as you're saying that is that um, the fact that you know who your neighbors are, yeah. that's something that wouldn't even happen in New York City. That's rare. So the fact that yeah. you even know who you're living with, I think says a lot about the culture down there. Yeah. Which is awesome. But yeah, we all kind of look out for each other. It's really, really nice. It just happens pretty organically. Do you think that a lot of the students from um, all the amazing universities that we were just talking about end up staying? Or do you see a trend where a lot of people do leave? Or, or what, what do you see from your, your peers, but also people in the community? Yeah, it's a really timely question because I think even 10 years ago, there was not even a thought that people would stay. That all of the, and you, you sort of see this trend with career resources departments in in colleges and universities, they weren't thinking about as much about uh, recruiting locally and companies local um, because students were by and large moving out of the state. Mm. Uh, Now that is totally different. It's totally changing. Many more students are trying to stay in the area because they love it down here and they see the growth and they find it exciting and it's accessible and it's easy to live here. Um, And so it's interesting to see how the universities are sort of reacting to that shift and um, shifting recruitment uh, to be more sort of Inter, like intrastate focused, and that trend is is only strengthening. And I saw that myself as a student at Duke. Um, there is an entire cohort of us who graduated in my year who are all interested in social impact who decided to stay uh, in Durham, and we see each other fairly often. And more and more, that's happening with the schools here where people are, are staying. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. Um, I'm excited. I'm, I get to go um, down to North Carolina soon next month. So I'm very excited to to live everything that you're explaining. I do want to switch a little bit to um, what happened in North Carolina that 
a year and a half, almost two years ago, I guess now, HB2, which was all over the news. Everyone was talking about it. And I want to go a little bit into that and how that affected the community. Uh, but before we do that, I'm going to give a little bit, a little background of what um, HB2 is. So in March 2016, the Public Facilities Privacy and Security Act, which I'm going to say the official title because it's it gives good insight into um, what this bill was. So it was officially called an act to provide for single sex, multiple occupancy bathrooms and changing facilities in schools and public agencies and to create statewide consistency in regulation and employment and public accommodations. So that was House Bill 2 or HB2. And um, this bill became extremely controversial uh, because one aspect of the law states um, that in government buildings, individuals must use restrooms um, and changing facilities that correspond to the sex on their birth certificate, which really upset the um, trans community and just the LGBT community in general and um, their and their allies um, across the U.S. Um, so the after the bill uh, was signed, um, the U.S. Department of Justice sued the governor um, and the um, North Carolina Department of Public Safety and the University of North Carolina system, um, stating that the bill violated um, multiple different laws, including the Civil Rights Act, um, Title IX, um, and the Violence Against Women Act. So after the um, Justice Department sued um, all of those North Carolina facilities, North Carolina um, then filed two separate lawsuits against the Department of Justice. Um, After months of back and forth, the portion of the law ended up being repealed and replaced on March 30th, 2017. So that was a lot of backstory. Um, I'm, I'm summarizing a very complex, um, controversial um, time in, in North Carolina history and, and LGBT movement. But what were some of the effects that were playing out? You know, we all saw it on the news, but it's different when you're living it and you're feeling it. Um, so, so what was really happening in North Carolina during this time when the world was, was watching? Yeah, thank you for that really helpful summary. Um, And this was a really hard time to be a resident of North Carolina. And around this time, my husband and I were had seriously decided that we were going to stay here. And and this was one of those political events that was that made us question that. You know, there was a there's still a lot of hate um, directed towards the transgender community. And we, we didn't feel proud to be in a state that was furthering that and was making national news in this way. So it, you know, just personally, it was, it was tough. Um, But I think we saw some really amazing things in the community to fight against this law. And so I'll give you a few examples um, that made national news, but that were definitely really critical in this law being overturned. So a few notable ones, Bruce Springsteen canceled uh, a concert in Greensboro. Um, He wrote on his website, some things are more important than a rock show. Uh, And this fight against prejudice and bigotry, which is happening as I write, is one of them. So go Bruce. Yeah, go Bruce. Um, yeah, so so that was great. Um, from a, a business perspective, PayPal canceled its plans for a $36 million operation center in Charlotte. 
the NCAA uh, threatened to withhold championship events through 2022. The NBA announced that it would relocate its 2017 All-Star Game. So really this kind of uproar in the community of people boycotting the state. And as a resident of the state, um, you know, I'm sure there were were mixed feelings all around about these companies boycotting the state. But as a resident of the state, I, I, we really felt like th- these were really critical pieces um, that folks needed to boycott operations here in order for for the legislators to hear sort of loud and clear that Americans at large were not going to tolerate this this kind of hatred. Right, and I, I actually think one of the, even the countersuits was um, was about um, how how much money North Carolina was losing because of the Justice Department's lawsuit. Yeah, so the, these are all big organizations. Um, Bruce Springsteen isn't an organization, but he's a big, um, he's a, he's a, <laughs> a big player. Um, but all really influential companies slash people. And I, I think it's really powerful to show how important um, companies are and their influences. Um, but what about some, did, did you see anything lo- on a more local, smaller scale? I mean, we saw protests, so that's one thing. But um, what else was happening like on the ground floor in North Carolina? Yeah, that's another really great pertinent question because this isn't something that necessarily made national news, but for those of us who were living in North Carolina, we saw this every day. So um, one example that I really like to point out is uh, in all of in in most kind of establishments that we frequent around this this area of the triangle, we saw companies, mostly restaurants and folks who had public bathrooms that were visible we saw signs that said all genders welcome, gender neutral, we do not support, you know, this law. Um, and just communicating from a small business perspective that um, that folks weren't in line and weren't in agreement and taking a stance uh, on that. And so that was really heartening. I mean, you don't want that to have to be the case. You don't necessarily want that to even be an issue in the first place, but it was really heartening to see small businesses really stepping up and asserting a conscience, you know, in, in right. this, um, in this really fraught political environment. Right. Um, and I, and I think it, um, it, it says a lot as a, you know, as a consumer and as a customer that you felt, um, drawn to that and that the, the community was rallying behind those small companies, which, um, I think more and more companies are realizing that even the smallest little things that they do, that those carry a lot of weight and that that goes a long way. So um, yeah. that, that's awesome that uh, specifically the restaurant industry, I, I guess, which makes a lot of sense because they have public restrooms, um, yep. was making a stance in a, a way that you know didn't cost them money. I mean, maybe they lost a few customers, but maybe they gained a few customers too because people wanted to support those organizations. So, um, yeah. so that's awesome. That's, that's great. Yeah. So, so how are things now? Does it feel like, uh, North Carolina just recovered? Um, do you still see any, um, remnants of, of that, that time? I think as a group, we were really eager to move on. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, as I mentioned, you don't want to make national news in that capacity. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think this bill was largely unfavorable. Um, I, I think, it, you know, unfortunately, it was a case of loud voices of a few individuals um, in a decision-making capacity. And I think once we had moved on from it, everyone was really sort of 
ready in, in our collective consciousness to just to just move on. And I think those those bathroom signs stay. You know, we see gender neutral bathroom signs everywhere, um, awesome. and the HB two kind of verbiage is is largely gone. Um, but the kind of collective awareness about inclusivity has remained. Right. So on that note, um, what changes do you think are going to take place in the triangle in, let's say, the next decade? So what what direction is the triangle moving in? Yes, um, I will get out my little crystal globe here. <laughs> yes, because you know, right? You can tell us exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, so I can um, I can make some kind of macro predictions from what I've seen in the past few years and um, what's what we kind of read about, but I, I think are all really exciting, probable changes. So the first thing is just general population growth, and I think particularly we see this huge wave of young people from a lot of northeastern urban areas. Um, finding home in the South because of all of these things that we touched on more, you know, accessible cost of living. Um, Coming in, I see uh, more progressive politics taking over. I see rural communities um, becoming more economically well-off as we try to focus on how to revitalize rural communities. I see more innovation coming to the region. We've had so much of that. Um, North Carolina has been a leader in a lot of ways. Um, And I just see more of that to come, Um, particularly as more and more companies are relocating to North Carolina, not not only just the Triangle, but all over the state um, because of lower costs of operations, because of beautiful weather. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and, and we sort of have struggles with gentrification, as do a lot of um, cities and towns that are seeing such large population growth. But I'm hoping... Um, within the next 10 years that will continue to be thoughtful about gentrification and not um, displacing people from their homes um, and, and just continue to really be thoughtful about how we grow. Right. Yeah. I I think that's great to, you know, keep that in mind as a community is expanding. Yep. Um, So, so going off that, you know, we're really excited that Inspiring Capital now has someone on the ground floor there. Um, But how do you see Inspiring Capital growing alongside uh, the triangle? Yeah, I think Inspiring Capital kind of has a a natural mission that goes alongside all of those changes that I just mentioned. So I think for us, we can help organizations grow thoughtfully, responsibly, and efficiently. Mm -hmm. Um, And we can help large organizations think about retaining talent. Um, as they kind of grow and expand their presence here. You know, I think we will continue to infuse business principles with nonprofits and help them um, help them be more sustainable. I think we're in this position where we sit at the nexus of student talent and uh, nonprofits and other organizations who are in need of high caliber talent. And so I think we will continue to play, play that role and we will become, um, I hope, a household name um, in the next few years as people think about kind of that leader um, in talent and collaboration across industries. Awesome. I really, I hope your crystal ball is right. And that's exactly what happens. <laughs> I think it's right. I think it's safe to say. <laughs> um, so we've definitely covered some very interesting topics. Um, and I I mean, we could keep talking about this for hours to come, um, but we yes. are running out of time. 
And I would like to uh, just quickly pick your brain um, so that some of our listeners can, you know, walk away with a little bit more tangible next steps and get better insight into who Julia is. Yes. Um, So on that note, what is your favorite book? Oh, um, so my favorite book right now is Tell the Wolves I'm Home Mm. by Carol Rivka Brunt. Um, I am a lover of heartbreaking, moving, beautifully written fiction. So that's probably my favorite fiction pick of the moment. I love that. Yes. Asking that question, it's, you like learn so much about someone. It's a hard question though. (laughs) It Um, is tough, yeah. This one's a little bit easier, I think, or or maybe not actually. Um, <laughs> what gets you out of bed in the morning? Mm, yeah, so so that's going to be a combination of the smell of coffee. I feel like I'm one of those cartoon characters that like the wafting of the coffee smell just makes me like get, become a zombie and walk out of bed. There's a mixture of that and my dog licking my face. Um, <laughs> but but also mentally, just like I get to meet really incredible people every day, just honestly. And when I wake up and kind of run through that list of people in my head, that is really, really motivating. Awesome. All all three things. (laughs) And when you do get up, um, what is the first thing that you do? Yeah. So I think it would probably be along the lines of those amazing people that I get to meet every day. So I do, I do sort of my mental prep. So I run through my meetings on my phone. I am guilty of that. Um, but, but for me, that's so much just about getting in the right headspace for my day and making sure that I'm sort of mentally prepped for the types of individuals that I'm going to meet in the day and just kind of planning out and, and knowing where I'm going to be at which times in the day. Awesome. And uh, this is a little bonus uh, quickfire question, Mm -hmm. Um, but what are some of your favorite companies in Durham or your favorite spots? Oh, there are so many. Okay. So I have to first give a shout out to some favorite fellow B Corps uh, in the area. So first two top of mind would be Vert and Vogue. They are an amazing um, fashion company, clothes um, and accessories. I will definitely take you there when you're here. Um, They are a newer B Corp. Um, Bull City Burger. They have amazing burgers. They're also a B Corp. Um, And then just like, I have to give a shout out to Full Steam. They were kind of one of the first craft breweries in the area here, and they really paved the way for further craft breweries um, and kind of a, a burgeoning of that scene down here. And also, it was founded by a Fuqua alum. So that's how they found there. Um, and then, ooh, I'll give a last, just like one last uh, shameless pitch. My husband is opening a restaurant. Oh my gosh. In Durham, and it is called East Cut Sandwich Bar. And it is going to be located in Durham. So keep an eye out for an opening in summer of 2018. Wow. Congratulations. That's Thank very you. exciting. Yeah, we're really excited. <laughs> and um, I'll share all of the, uh, the information for all of those places that you listed in this um, description. So the, the last thing is what is one thing that our audience can do today to live a more impactful life? Mm, I love this question. <laughs> Um, so I can share what's worked for me. I think for individuals in the social and environmental impact space, there is a lot of pressure to sort of save the world or be or do something that's going to move the needle significantly. And something that's helped me manage the enormity of that idea is 
to define my relationships and how I treat those directly around me as impact. Um, and so I include that in my definition of impact. So I really try to be intentional about cultivating love, uh, kindness, and forgiveness with the people I love who are in my direct circle every day. Um, because for me, it's been really helpful to think that if I'm impacting and inspiring the people around me who I love, um, that I'm an impactful person. And I think that can be really helpful for others as you sort of navigate this larger universe of social impact and marry it with your smaller one that you see every day. Very, very true. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Well, as we're wrapping up, I'd like to give a big thanks to Julia Winch for diving so thoughtfully into the struggle with me. Also, thank you for tuning in and listening. Make sure to subscribe and rate our show. For more information about this podcast, visit inspiringcapital.ly backslash podcast. And if you'd like to learn more about our expansion into North Carolina and get involved, feel free to reach out to Julia at julia at inspiringcapital.ly. Signing off, this has been Bernadette Hopin. Until next time, stay inspired.